well, we're trusting you had an amazing time as you just sought your God and allowed the Spirit to, to move in your life, to move in your midst. We want going to a time of teaching at this time. And we've been going through this brand new series, just a quick detour from our conversation that we've been having about the Spirit. And we're going to come back to that, so don't worry, we're going to pick up from where we left off. But we've done this quick detour, because I really f- firmly believe that this is an important talk that, topic that we've been discussing over these past couple of weeks. And it's this idea of what goes on in our mind. It's this idea about the war that goes on in our, in our mind, the thoughts that we deal with on a daily basis, and being able to discern those thoughts, being able to take captive of every thought that comes into our mind and make it obedient to Christ. And I know for, for a lot of us, especially over this past year and a half, with being isolated and being restricted, I'm sure, I'm sure, and to be honest, I know that the enemy went to town on us in our minds. And I, I, and I just believe that this is a right time just to dive into this topic. It's really a topic I could probably talk about every single week, to be honest, because it's something that every single one of us deal with. Every single one of us, as far as I know, have thoughts that come into our mind. And I know for a fact that every single one of those thoughts are not from God. And, and so how do we deal with that? How do we win the war that goes on in our mind. Now, I wonder how many of us are in the middle of a pretty decent life for the most part. But as you think about that, but you still find yourself complaining a lot. Why is that? Big picture speaking, the vast majority of us have a pretty decent life. But in this decent life, why is it that we seem to complain a lot? that our lives can be pretty special for most of the part, and our minds can drift into the things that we don't like or the things that we want to complain about. What, what do we know about our minds? What have, been, what have we been learning about what our, what our minds are capable of and doing? Well, first of all, and I've already alluded to that, our mind is a battlefield, isn't it? It really, truly is a battlefield. And both scripture and science says that most of life's battles are either won or lost in the mind. In other words, the life that we have in so many different aspects is a result of the thoughts that we think. So it's like this, your life reflects the thoughts that are in your mind. And so what comes into your mind, what comes into our minds, and what we allow to stay there, comes out into our life, actually. The way that we live our lives, the, the way we make decisions, the way we, the way we treat people, the way we speak to people, the way we perceive situations, what comes into our minds will obviously come out into our life. If you have a negative mind, it's almost impossible to have a positive life when your mind is just so consumed with negative thoughts. And I know there's many of us who are consumed with negative thoughts. So how do we defeat that? How do we overcome those negative thoughts? How do we overcome 
our negativity. Well, I first of all, I just wanted to review a key thought that we've that we've been looking at here. It's from Second Corinthians chapter 10. And let me just read these verses. And these, this is where we started a couple weeks ago. It says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we just lift this time up to you right now. Thank you that we have the opportunity to worship. Thank you, thank you that we have access to your living word that can direct us and guide us and strengthen us and encourage us, give us comfort, give us peace. And I pray all of that and more happens as we just seek you today. Thank you that you've heard our prayers here today. Thank you that you're working in these people's lives that we've been praying for. Lord, where healing and recovery is needed, we know that you are very active in that journey. And we ask that you'll just come alongside these people that you'll strengthen their bodies and just bring recovery and healing to them. Lord, for those that are going to procedures, waiting for appointments, Lord, give them patience. Give them perseverance as they just wait upon your time. Allow them to trust in you, knowing that you are in control of this situation. For those of people that we know that are on treatments and are going through that whole process, Lord, we just pray that the medications that are being used will just do what they are supposed to do that will bring healing to bring um, stability into these people's lives. Thank you that you are God that hears our prayers. And I pray as we look into your word here today, as we continue our dialogue about the battlefield and the war that's going on in our mind. Give us reassurance. Give us direction. Give us the resources so we can win that war in our mind. And as we look into your word, allow us to see Jesus, just Jesus here today. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now, if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, we've been talking about the power of our mind. We've talked about the reality that that this thing is complex. You know, we've talked about this idea of these, of these neural pathways that are in our minds. And there's actual these pathways, these neural pathways in our mind that every single time you think a thought, there's a new pathway. There's a new pathway that's created in your mind. And what's so interesting is, is, is that these thoughts create these patterns, these pathways and the more often you think a thought, it says, it's, the, it's easier to think it again. Just think about, like, I, like I've tried to make that visual. Think of a, a, a trail out in the woods. The more time that that trail is used, the easier it is for the next person, right? And the same thing goes with our minds. The same thing goes with our thought. Once that thought creates a pathway, it's easier to think it again and again And again, and that pathway in your brain comes very well worn and very well walked and traveled. 
Now, today what I want to do is I want to expand on that idea today. And I want to talk to you about what people call and what um, counselors and, and people like that call cognitive biases. And, and another word, another way to describe what cognitive biases are is it's really a mental filter. We're going to talk about your mental filter here today. So what is a cognitive bias? Um, simple definition of it is this, a mistake in reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. So that's what a cognitive bias is. It's, it's a mistake in reasoning based on a personal experience or personal preference. We could call it a mental filter or we can call it our mental framework in our life. In other words, if you grew up in a context and had something bad happen to you, a lot of times you have this framework of thinking or a filter through which you might see a situation inaccurately. The filters you have shape how you see life. For instance, we had a dog, a previous dog, before we moved out here. The dog, we could tell had this filter in this framework about, about humans, but especially about males. And we took this dog off of a neighbor's hands, and we could tell um, it was, she was very skittish and very afraid around me. And it took time, and we worked that out. And actually fairly quickly, once you get consistent and let them know that it's, you're, they're safe, you know, they, they change pretty quickly. So our dog... Yeah, and I believe dogs can have that. They, can, they have a, they, she got this framework that she was always in trouble. And because I remember one time she had an accident in the living room and I'm like, Kiara. And I noticed immediately her reaction the first time I said that and I stopped mentioning it to her. She walked away. She kind of turned away, head down, tail between her legs and kind of walked, walked away while looking behind her shoulder. So that told me she had a framework. And, and she, was, she was looking at this situation with me inaccurately because she was taking what she had experienced in the past. And the same thing happens to us growing up in our childhood, depending if you had an abusive father. You know, you might have grown up and view and have this framework that men are abusive, and, you're, and you don't want to be around them. So that's what we're talking about here. The filters you have, it shapes how you see life. But what's interesting is this. If you change the filter, it often changes how you feel. If you change the filter, it changes the feeling. It changes how you feel. So what is a cognitive bias? Well, it's what we might call our default filter. It's often when our brain is pre-wired to think in a certain way, or it's pre-wired to interpret a situation even if our interpretation isn't completely accurate. And this is why two different people can respond totally differently to the exact same situation. It's not the facts that are different. What is it? It's the filter. And this idea is so relevant today about what's going on with the virus and vaccines and things like that. The facts aren't different. Why is it that people have different responses? It's because of the filter. 
that's in their mind. It's their framework of how they are interpreting this pandemic, how they're interpreting the vaccine. I'm not getting into who's right, who's wrong, but I'm hoping it will give us an understanding that if people have a different reaction to what we're going through, it's not that they're looking at the, it's not like they are having different facts than us. It's our frameworks. It's our filters that are different in how we are perceiving, how we are interpreting. And you can see examples of this even through scripture. And there's a very powerful one that you can read about. And it's found in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And it's a great story. And, and read it. It's, it's when Moses sent those 12 spies out to explore the land. You remember that story, right? 12 of them went out. They saw the exact same thing. But the reports were actually entirely different. Why is that? How is that even possible? It wasn't the facts that were different. They saw the exact same land. They saw the exact same things. So what was it? It was the filter. It was the mental framework of these 12. Two of them came back, as we know, that said, oh my gosh, Moses, it's beautiful over there. It's amazing. It's perfect. It's what God has given to us. Now let's go and take what God has promised and given to us. Ten, the other ten, actually came back and said, Well, Moses, I wouldn't listen to these two. It's dangerous over there. The land devours people. There's giants over there, and we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. What I can promise you is this, that nobody went up and interviewed any of these giants what happened in the situation is this. What happened is their filter changes their perception of how they felt. And they felt like grasshoppers in the eyes of everyone else. It wasn't the facts that were different here in this, in this story. It was what was different was the filter of these 12. Now, it's not just the filter that matters. It's also the frame. You can be in the very same situation and how you frame something actually determines how you see it. I want to give you a tool that counselors call reframing. And here's a simple definition of that term of reframing. So what does it mean to reframe a situation or even to reframe a relationship? Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by changing its meaning. It's simply creating a different way of interpreting or looking at a situation or looking at a relationship by changing its meaning. And I'll give you examples on how you can reframe a day. So here's an ex a possible example. Let's say you wake up and you determine ahead of time this is going to be a bad day. If you frame a day like that, you can easily say, man, this is going to be a hard day. I got so much to do here. I work with these people. Man, they drive me crazy. And I don't know how I'm going to get all this done today. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. Life is hard. I'm sick of my stupid car. The very same day, you can have a bad day if you frame it the wrong way. If instead, you take the exact same situation and you reframe it, 
you may wake up and say, you know what, I've got a lot to do today, but I'm so thankful that my God is with me. I'm thankful that he's for me. I'm thankful that he's given me a job. I'm thankful for my old clunker that gets me to this job. I believe today is going to be a good day. You see the difference there? Same day, reframing it. It's not the facts that changed here, but it's how you frame it. And I'm afraid there are so many people that start to frame even God by saying, you know what, I don't like what God's doing. Rather than looking for the goodness of God in the day. And we can do that. We can even do that with, with church, you know, and how we go to church and, and be able to f- frame that or reframe it, right? So it's about how you view this situation. It's not just the facts that are different here. It's often the filter or it's often the frame. So what do we know about what goes on in life. Well, you can't control what happens to you. I think we can all agree to that. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you choose to frame it. And what I want to do right now is just kind of slow things down for a moment. And I want to ask you to think about your life right now. Think about your life right now. Think even about the expectations that you have in your mind. And I wonder how many of us wanted something in life, but right now, in this moment, you're actually experiencing the opposite of what you wanted. You find yourself waking up like, why am I not where I want it to be? You might be confused by it. If you ever wake up and you think, this isn't what I wanted? You know, I wanted the exact opposite of what I have right now. And if that's you, then the Apostle Paul knows exactly how you feel right now. And I love his story because he had a heart for God. He really had a heart for God and only wanted to serve God and please God with his life. He felt called to go to Rome to preach the gospel. He knew that if he could get to Rome, and if we could reach the people there in Rome, that that would be a strategic place to help the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ to spread over all of the world. This was his dream. This was his bucket list. This was his top prayer. This was his greatest desire. It was to go to Rome and preach. But instead, instead of being in Rome and preaching, he finds himself in Rome as a prisoner instead. He's locked up at house arrest, meaning he's locked. He's literally chained to a Roman guard, and he's awaiting possible execution. Everything that Paul wanted, everything that he desired, he actually got the exact opposite. Paul could have framed this situation in one of different ways. He could have framed it on the negative side. But what he did, though, is he reframed it And this is what we find him saying in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, this is what he says. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear 
throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So what's happening here? He, he's essentially saying this is what he's saying. He's describing a situation. He's saying, you know what? I'm locked up here. I'm locked up to this Roman guard. And, <clears throat> and every eight hours, I get a new one. They have these eight-hour shifts, and I get a new one every eight hours. So who do you think is the real prisoner in all this? He's saying to, he's saying to the church, I'm getting to preach to a captive audience. I get a new influential person every eight hours who has to sit there and has to listen to my eight-hour long sermon on how great Jesus is. That's what he's saying here in these verses. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become what? Confident in the Lord and and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, it's not the facts here that are different with Paul. It's how he's framing it. And what I want to do today is talk to you about how you can reframe your story your relationships. What I know is many of us have got a battle going on in our minds. So often, so much of life in a big picture is generally pretty decent. But often it's these small parts of just stuff that ends up taking us out of God's perfect will. And I want to give us three tools, three tools to help us renew our minds to help us win the war in our mind so God can change our thinking, which will also end up changing our life. Are you ready? If you're ready, type in the chat, I'm ready, let's do this. Number one, I want you to thank God for what didn't happen. Thank God for what didn't happen. See, you're reframing a situation as you do that. Rather than just focusing on the wrong, you can actually see what's what's right in it. For an example, I remember when I was younger and I had this car and we called it the recycling bin um, because it was, <clears throat> it was blue, almost the same color as a recycling bin. And it was like, like almost like a square. And so we just called it the recycling bin. And I remember my, my parents got it off of a friend of mine. Uh, he was getting out of the car, and he's like, hey, I'll give it to you, and you can just take it off my hands, essentially. So I was coming home. I was out golfing, actually, that day. Coming home, it was slightly raining, and ended up rear-ending someone um, pretty bad. And so going through all that process, um, having to call my mom to come and pick me up and get me home. Uh, Car was towed and and all that stuff. So not a great situation, right? Not a great situation. Car is not in great condition. In a decent accident, um, the insurance is going to be really different after that of claiming an accident and then paying for the other car's damages. And... So yeah, bad situation, but you can ref- I could reframe it, and I did kind of reframe it. I don't know if my parents appreciated that 
or so much. Um, I, it's not that I said, well, at least I'm okay and everyone's okay. Yeah, that, we said that, and that was a way of thanking God what didn't happen. But then the insurance company said, you know what? Since how old this car is and some of the damage on it, we'll just, write, we'll just cut you a check. And, I, and so I reframed the situation to my parents, and I said, look at that. They're actually, you're actually getting money out of this, and the insurance is giving you money, more money than what this car is probably even worth, Right? Thank God for what didn't happen. You get money out of this. Now, they're like, we're not getting money out of this. We're actually going to be losing money. Um, but I see it, it's, it, it's thank you God for what didn't happen. You're getting more money than what this car actually probably is worth. See, in the whole scheme of things, there are some things that are a big deal. But so often it's the things that aren't, that, up take, that end up taking all this stuff and just taken off with it. And if you just take a step back every now and then and look with this broader perspective, instead of focusing on what you hate, you may just change the frame. And instead, you say this, God, I thank you. I thank you for what didn't happen. I thank you for what didn't happen. And this church has done that when the church burnt down. They say, God, thank you. Thank you that you protected everyone and you got everyone out there safe and no one was harmed. Thank you that in this disaster there was a blessing because thank you that you burnt everything to the ground so we could have the option of moving somewhere else. See, it's, you guys even were reframing that situation, that bad situation, and saying, you know what, and you thanked God for what didn't happen. So that's, what, that's tool number one. Thank God for what didn't happen. The second thing is this, practice pre-framing. Pre-framing. It's this idea that you're deciding how you frame a situation before you even engage in that situation. Why does this matter? Because our thoughts or the frames often shape what we experience. Because the way you frame it, it often changes how you perceive it. For some of us, you are already pre-framing your failures before you even get there. Take whatever shortcoming you have, learn from it, pre-frame it, and walk in believing that God will enable you to be successful. So what can you do? You can thank God for what didn't happen, and you can start pre-framing a situation. And the other tool is this, look for God's goodness. Look for God's goodness, because I promise you, you will always find what you're looking for. You will find whatever it is that you're looking for. If you look for good, you're going to find good. If you look for bad, you'll find bad every single time. If you want to see what's wrong with every single day, you can find what's wrong with every single day. If you want to not like people, you can find a ton of reasons to not like people. But, but, if you want to look for God, if you want to see faith, if you want to see the best you can, it's just like the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird, actually. So what does a, virtu- uh, a vulture usually find? Usually finds dead stuff, right? Dead things, roadkill. What does a hummingbird usually find? Sweet things, right? I promise you, 
you'll always find whatever it is that you're looking for. If you want to see what's wrong, if you want to see what's bad, if you want to see what's not working, what's wrong with this world, you can live a really depressed, negative life. Because you'll be able to find all that stuff if you're looking for it. If you want to look for where God is working, you can see that he's still on the throne and that he's still good and that he's still powerful and that he still answers prayer. It's, this, it's called cognitive reframing. And as we do that, it empowers you to decide the meaning of an event. It means you get to decide. And I'm going to take, up, take it up a level and say, say this. It's not just, it's, let's, not, let's not just do cognitive reframing where you decide, but let's let Jesus help you decide the meaning of a situation. Let's let Jesus frame it for you. I'll show you what this means for me. Speaking with pastors over this past year um, was interesting. Um, because every single one essentially said this, you know what, Bill, this past year has probably been the worst year ever. Could have been um, in the church and in their family life. You know, they're just saying it was the worst year ever. There was this heaviness and, and this sense of hopelessness of how do we recover in the church world? How do we recover from all of this? Will there even be a church for me to go back to to pastor, I've had past, I, I had conversations just like that. Pastors were concerned. Do I even have a church to go back to once we are able to meet again? So there was a lot of discouragement, a lot of heaviness, a lot of hopelessness within pastors. And yes, even and when I say pastors, I'm, I'm talking a lot about even in our own city. And I looked back over this year, and I've had those same thoughts actually. And every one of you in your own way has your own version of this whole entire year and a half or so. Just think about it. You know, as I look back, you know, the church shuts down. We shut down. And then there's this massive fear of like, well, what do you do when you can't meet? That's what we always knew, right? You go to church to meet. And now that we weren't able to, how do, how do we still meet? How do we do that? There was a massive fear. Then there was this whole idea of this. If you reopen as a church, you're dangerous, was what some thought. If you don't reopen, you have no faith, is what others thought. Then there's the whole mask thing. If you wear a mask, you're just a flaming liberal. If you don't wear one, you're dangerous to the world. And we're talking that they, these stuff is coming from Christians. And sometimes we're talking about hatred coming from Christians. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Then there was this growing awareness throughout all this about the racial tension. Then the whole political divide here as well. Here we find ourselves in the middle of a difficult situation going, this is the worst year ever. Or was it? Because when I started looking back through my old pictures on my phone, to be honest, I didn't see any of that bad stuff. To be honest. 
I have pictures of us doing a little bit more stuff as a family, getting out out in the na- in nature with Coda a little bit more, um, being creative of how we can do things, how we are able to meet as a church. Like when I looked over, I didn't see any of that bad stuff. And as I look back, it's easy at first glance to think it was the worst year ever. But actually, I see so many incredible blessings when I actually reframe it. And somehow, with the church being closed, with our God, who is always faithful, managed, we managed to do this. We managed to have virtual services for the very first time ever as a church. We learned how to do it. We made it available to you. Obviously, still are. Virtual services, first time ever in the history of First Baptist Church. And because of that, and it being broadcast publicly, we actually reached thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were not connected to our church. In the middle of this time where the church was shut down, we could not meet together in this building, our church actually grew in numbers. Go figure. We had the best year financially that we've ever had since I've been here, and that's over 14 years. We had more people in this church become members since I've ever been here. And we provided an opportunity to gather when most couldn't. As I look back and as I reflect to you, it doesn't seem so bad, does it? Reframing. We're reframing the situation. In other words, if God is working in all things for good, then it's time to reject the unhealthy thoughts, to do away with those frames that tell you you can't, you won't, and you're nothing, and you're just going to be a failure. And we're going to reframe that. What we're going, what we're doing is we're not passively receiving circumstances, but we're actively interpreting it. And guess what? We're not interpreting the goodness of God through our circumstances. And way too many of us do that. God is good if my life is good. If my life is bad, then God is bad. That's not what we need to do. We need to reframe that filter. We're not interpreting the goodness of God through our circumstances, but instead we're interpreting our circumstances through the goodness of God. So what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel because you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. And what are we not going to do? We are not going to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. And how are we going to be transformed? By the renewing of our mind. And how do we renew our mind? When you know the truth, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us everything we need to battle this war that's going on in our minds. 
You've given us the tools. You've given us the resources. You've given us the weapons. Lord, I pray, I pray, we finally stand up firm and we say to the enemy, enough is enough. I am taking my mind back. I am going to take captive every thought, every thought, and I'm going to make it obedient to Christ. And Lord, as we go, as we are on this journey of renewing our mind, we will at times get discouraged. I pray that you will just help us through this journey, through this journey of renewing our minds by allowing you to transform us into your likeness. And I pray that we meditate on your truth and your truth only because it is your word that will cut away the lies that are in our mind. Thank you that your truth sets us free. We just pray all of this in your name. Amen.